0: been free with our kids at a much earlier age, so they haven't had the feeling that technology was some sort of guilty pleasure or some sort of taboo thing that they're not supposed to be doing. It's sort of just been part of their lives.
1: My name's Andrew Lee, and welcome to The Good Life, a politics-free podcast about living a happy, healthy and ethical life. In this podcast, we seek out wise men and women who have lessons to teach us about living life to the full with humour, pleasure, meaning and love. We'll chat with musicians and athletes, CEOs and carers about making the most of this one precious life. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to tell your friends or rate us on Apple Podcasts. Now, sit back and enjoy the conversation. I first got to know Joshua Gans when I was visiting the University of Melbourne's Business School in the mid-2000s. He struck me immediately as somebody who was passionate about Star Wars uh, and about ideas with a huge amount of energy for writing on topics far and wide. We immediately set to work on a series of papers looking at the timing of births, looking at whether that uh, birth timing was affected by the baby bonus, the millennium, unlucky dates, weekends, doctors' conferences or the lunar cycle to which we discovered the answers were yes, 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 and no. Joshua studied originally at the University of Queensland and then Stanford University. After his time at uh, Melbourne Business School, uh, he headed off to MIT for a brief period uh, and then to the University of Toronto, uh, where he is now a professor at the Rotman School of Management. Uh, Joshua is the author of a number of books uh, including information wants to be shared, parentonomics, core economics, finishing the job, uh, and the Australian edition of Greg Mankiw's Principles of Economics text. He's somebody who, uh, whose departure from Australia is, uh, is a real loss to the Australian public conversation uh, and again to the Canadian public policy conversation. Uh, and it's a delight to have him on the podcast today.
0: Ah, it's good to finally be on this thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, tell me about your childhood.
0: Oh, my childhood. Oh, well, boy, talk about leaping right to the co- What is this? A, 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 a psych- psychiatric session? Am I counseling?
1: <laughs> uh, was it happy? What style remember, of parenting you know, did deal, were you womb. exposed to? I
0: was in the womb and thinking, <laughs> when should I come out? And, uh, <laughs> so, anyways, <laughs> and it led to a lifelong research. So, um, oh, okay, so. Uh, you know, my childhood was was pretty ordinary. Um, I grew up in Sydney. I went to uh, Vaucluse uh, Public School, which was, of course, the uh, public school of uh, Russell Crowe and also our current Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull. So it's uh, quite an interesting little place. Uh, and I was there and for the first 10 years of my life, and then we... Up to the family and moved to Brisbane in Queensland, uh, whereby I did my high school and uh, went to the University of Queensland and studied initially law, and I didn't like that, and so I switched to economics. Uh, I don't know what else to sort of say about my childhood. I spent a lot of time. I had various phases of interests. I I think the earliest obsession I can remember is of course Doctor Who, as we all did in the 1970s, all meaning the three people I knew. Uh, and, and then I think we had a, a spat, spell with the TRS-80 color computer. That was a good obsession. Uh, before uh, I, I, briefly, I briefly flirted with the idea of becoming a, a test cricketer uh, and made the under 13 Fs at my school. So, Excellent. yeah, it was it was going to have to be a meteoric rise and certainly, <laughs> certainly going to have to challenge things. But I, I I I I had enthusiasm for it at the time and it was quite uh, good. And I dragged my brother out to who, who he who hated any such things to to bowl or bat as whatever my uh, desires were, uh, you know. So those were the kind of things actually it was my My grandmother who uh, who got me into cricket actually, um, at least watching it. she was very uh, she was uh, quite obsessed with it <laughs> throughout the, the the latter part of her life. It's quite interesting anyway, but you know that's uh, you know it's fairly, fairly fairly ordinary, nothing nothing too exciting.
1: Were you a close family? did you uh, do you remember a lot of uh, family holidays? did you tend to uh, to to eat dinner together?
0: Uh, we tend to eat dinner together. I think that was sort of out of habit. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I was I was very close with my brother. My uh, and I had sort of uh, interesting relationships with my parents, who are now probably listening to this, and now I'm in trouble. Um, but you know, uh, they uh, but we you know we had our ups and downs as as some families do. Uh, but there were good times as well. We didn't really go on vacation very much. Uh, my parents were not uh, big into traveling and, st- and still are to this day. Uh, so uh, we didn't do much of that. Uh, so I spent a lot of time uh, pottering around the house. Uh, I guess uh, reading lots of books and things like that that end up turning you into the sort of person I am today.
1: And as a parent, you're sort of relentlessly uh, data, data and theory driven. Uh, one of the things that uh, strikes me, struck me immediately about uh, parentonomics uh, was that you were not only reading a, a bunch of the parenting books, but also thinking about parenting through the lens of economic theory. Uh, let's take one example that uh, parents strike early on in life. Uh, how should, uh, sh- should we move kids out of nappies?
0: Oh, Yes. Classic incentive problem.
1: You know, it's just not. I, I don't
0: understand how anyone sees it any other way. Frankly, uh, <laughs> parenting is just a, a classic economic problem. You know, parents want one thing, uh, children uh, want something else, uh, and uh, you know, when it came to, to to nappies, that was certainly the case. I think, um, actually, 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 I think actually our interests were actually aligned. Um I think <laughs> when I think about it now, you know, I, I didn't really want to toilet train my children. Uh, uh, you know, if I could have got away with it, uh, society wise, I guess we wouldn't have bothered. Uh, but, you know, I think there was this knowledge that there was this social pressure of school coming and it wasn't a good look to still be in a nappy. And 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 every parent has this vision of, you know, some 18 year old. Who still needs their their bum wiped or something. So I think uh, there was the pressure on from that point of view. So it was a classic problem. And so, you know, I obviously went to the uh, economics uh, toolkit, which was uh, to use uh, bribes of various degrees to try and uh, speed up the process. Uh, And I think, you know, uh, that was about as successful as you'd expect. Um, It's not clear uh, we accelerated anything, but we definitely focused attention.
1: So I love one of the uh, comparisons you make uh, between uh, your daughter's receipt re- response to uh, to jelly beans. Uh, and uh, the way in which top athletes respond to performance. Uh, you tell the story about how uh, uh, in response to the incentive of getting a jelly bean for every time she went to the toilet, uh, your daughter began making repeated trips to the toilet. And you, you point out that uh, this is not dissimilar to a uh, famous pole vaulter, Sergei Bubka, who was given a cash bonus for breaking the world record and so therefore used to break it a centimetre at a, at a, at a time. Uh, were there many of these instances in, uh, in in parentonomics where suddenly the, the incentive system seemed to backfire? Oh, no, that was all of it, actually.
0: Uh, you know, another economist uh, once read the book and sort of said, you know, this seems to be, you know, I thought there was going to be a book on how great incentives were and how well they worked, and, uh, but it seems to be a, a book of failure, and that's really what it was. Uh, it was, a, you know, the kids were very, very savvy Um, You know, one of the things that parents don't have time, they just don't have time to concentrate on the nature of the problem the way that kids do. And so, yes, my daughter used to squeeze out a little bit, uh, come get a jelly bean or whatever, and then go back and squeeze out a bit more, which was great, actually, when you think about it. Uh, That's the sort of control we wanted. Uh, But obviously we weren't going to be able to do that forever. Uh, And, and, you know, we had various uh, different... Uh, ways in which that occurred. My, my son, who were trying to get him to um, be out of uh, pull ups at night, uh, he, uh, he kept on rewriting the rules for us. So like, we'd give him a reward for having a dry pull up at night. And lo and behold, he produced one, Uh, you know, but unfortunately, uh, you know, our noses didn't lie. And it turned out he was taking it off and putting it back on in the morning. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you try, you try to do that, but we know that that sort of thing occurs when we try to set incentives for anything. And my big takeaway from all this was, you know, you can't sort of just engineer any of these processes. Uh, when you want to put in an incentive or a rule or something like that, your hope is that it'll go on autopilot and you'll be like, oh, oh that's it, I'm done with my job. But really, uh, that's not the case at all. Uh, you know, the the job of parenting can't just be solved. It has to be managed and it has to be managed in an ongoing way. And that's really uh, was our journey of learning that.
1: Some people listening will uh, find it, find it strange that you seem to draw no distinction between the principles you apply when you're in the office and the principles when you you apply at home. Uh, do you think this is a particularly unusual trait of economists that we tend to look for aspects in our personal lives to apply our work theories? Uh,
0: you know, it's certainly a trait of many economists. I don't think I don't think uh, people took it to the explicit in extent that I did. I mean, I know some other economists who've tried to set up various markets at home. With equal success, um, <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Situations of property rights and contracts and what have you, and that just seems exhausting to me. Uh, most economists, I think, and you're probably one of these, who just like manage their kids normally. I think uh, I was I was blessed with a wife who was an engineer, and so who was up for all of this. <laughs> but you know, uh, you know, in in the end, I think actually. It's just the way I look at it. Uh, you know, I'll put it in in terms of incentives, bribes, etc. Uh, I think all parents end up doing these things. They just don't have the same language that we have for it. Uh, and, uh, and maybe that uh, got me to realise a problem a little bit quicker because of my experience in that. But, you know, I suspect it's the challenge of everybody, uh, which is why this was a the book. was a general interest book, or supposedly anyway. <laughs>
1: Uh, you also talk about uh, the challenge of getting babies to sleep, and uh, and tell the story of uh, uh, once seeing a uh, uh, having so little sleep that you saw horses running ac- across the uh, across the free- uh, freeway in a uh, in a sort of sleep induced hallucination. Uh, yeah. and then uh, to this day, you, I do not uh, you, know you, if uh, that was real or
0: not. To this day, <laughs> I can still picture it. <laughs>
1: Uh, I do sometimes think of it as I drive down the Calder Freeway. It's a very vivid, uh, vivid image you created there. Um, but you, uh, you dealt with that in an unusual way by turning off the baby monitor. Uh, what do you think uh, made that work? Well, actually, that was a bit by accident. Uh,
0: that was like um, with the third child. I mean, obviously, you start reusing stuff. And uh, we discovered... That, oh, actually, I remember there was a couple of instances, but one one I remember with the third child, we discovered the baby monitor wasn't working. Um, And, you know, we thought, oh, what a good baby. Um, (laughs) 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 And and it turned out, actually, she, you know, she started to put herself to sleep because out of neglect, apparently. But I think at another point we were, I, I do recall us sitting around listening to this baby monitor screaming at us. And we knew we didn't want to go in uh, because this was part of the, the training. You know, you have to get used to it. And, and, uh, and the solution was simply to turn it off because it was just bothering us and it wasn't helping us at all. Uh, I think actually, you know, that's the kind of dispassionate thing maybe an economist will do that other parents won't. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll sort of just, uh, we'll suffer with it even though, there's a broad understanding that turning the baby monitor off is at least better for you.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, you you you, uh, you end up having three children, where you and uh, you you and your uh, your, your wife. Um, did you always know that you were kind of pretty enthusiastic about the whole parenting thing? Was this a uh, was this a shared pro- project early on? Was parenting always an important part of your life, or did you find you sort of grew into it?
0: Oh no, I had no particular interest whatsoever. Um, I kind of you know uh, knew that was part of the deal. <laughs> in other words, you know, the decision to get married was bundled with a, a decision to have a, at least a couple of children. I, I knew that going in. Um, and once that was known, I didn't think about it again, until the sort of discussion of timing uh, came up, in which case, you know, there's a biological clock, I wasn't the one who had to do all the work of being pregnant. Uh, so Really, I just went along for the flow. So I, I, I must admit, I didn't have any particular uh, uh, pull towards it or anything like that. Um, all I know is I really enjoyed it when it happened. Um, and so I had no great expectations, but I really found, I found the whole experience uh, <laughs> significantly rewarding. And I've become one of those parents that, you know, tell other people, you must, you must have a child. You're not complete without one, you know so <laughs> <laughs> you know, you end up doing that. But you know, I, I just I just didn't uh, uh, yeah, it wasn't a, wasn't, a, wasn't a thing for me, that's for sure.
1: One of the hardest things, uh, I think, for modern parenting is dealing with technology. You're uh, almost uniquely well-placed to uh, to talk about this, given that uh, you're deeply immersed in technology and you work in the economics of entrepreneurship, uh, but also as a parent aware of the, uh, the risks of uh, addictive technologies. Uh, how do you think uh, parents ought to, to manage uh, te- technology? So I don't know if perhaps we should go through them uh, one by one, uh, start, start, with, start with television, for example. Yeah,
0: television's an interesting one. Television has turned around. Like television was the big technology that was killing you and, you and I when we were growing up, right? We were all dying because we were watching, you know, some number of hours per week of television and, and not doing other stuff. Um, and uh, Interestingly enough You know Television's changed In terms of what it means for us We we didn't You know uh, I, I like television So we didn't shield out Kids from television or anything like that. I, when they were young, if uh, putting on a, a, a Blues Clues or something was going to keep them occupied for half an hour, I was all for it. Uh, <laughs> that was for sure. And and if we could call it education, even better. Uh, so so that was the that was what what we did. But we didn't actually find that the kids were spending inordinate amount of time watching television per se. Uh, not uh, not really. In fact, when they grew older uh they started doing it less and less they had other things to do um lots of things that the modern kid is blessed with uh and and so television actually became something we actually as a family uh kind of had to enforce um because it was great family time we would all watch together uh which would be an which would be a more social thing that we could do with one another uh than might have been occurring otherwise and so I kind of think that that was a, you know, a bit of a turn. Uh, but I don't think, I think television as an are object really is
1: Are you really engaging as a family when you're, uh, or yeah. when you're all sort of sitting on the couch parallel?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the whole thing going on. There's, you know, there's conversation, discussion, getting into it, discuss, uh, things afterwards. Right. It, so it, it kind of worked for us in that way. In other words, we weren't zombieing out on this thing, and partly the reason was because it was sort of like it's now time we're going to watch, you know, Survivor or something like that, or, or, or depending what you know, obviously depending on the age of the kids, it all depends what 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 you could watch, um, but we would all be in it together, uh, and we still do that, yeah. you know, as I start to lose children. I still still have have that same relationship
1: <laughs> to university, we should say, rather yes, than that, just for yes, pure yes, neglect. Yes,
0: they I, you shed them, um, but yeah, anyway, so the, the uh, uh, so it's 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 really a social activity from that point of view. I mean, I've had to drag you know high schoolers out. I don't want you studying anymore. It's time to have a break and watch TV with us, uh, mainly because I, I enjoy it more when they're watching with me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, so uh, the next uh, thing, I, I guess, sorry, Ron.
0: What's your next technology?
1: Uh, I was going to go on to mobile phones. Uh, oh, what yeah. age do you think a child should ha- have, a, have a phone? At, w- at what uh, point uh, should should they be allowed to, uh, to, to use it unfettered?
0: So that's really interesting. So there's two separate questions. So there's the phone and there's the unfettered phone. So there's the phone. With some sort of parental controls and parental supervision, and then there is the phone when as they as they have it. So our kids have always had a phone at a fairly young age, but that was correlated with them taking them to and from school. And so we lived around the corner from school uh, when we were in Australia. Uh, I think actually I, I think my daughter had to take a tram or something. She was eight. Um, and so we gave her a phone for that. Um, so they all got it at about age eight when they started walking themselves to and from school um, as, you know, for obvious reasons as a means of communication, but also because the phones that they got uh, were basically a tracking device. Uh, you know, we, I can tell where they are. Um, now, that was different from having full control over their phone. So you could set these phones so that they don't work at night <laughs> and you can set them so that they can't uh, do certain apps and things like that. Um, so, you know, in terms of, you know, getting, uh, getting addicted to them, but I must admit our kids were off of the parental controls. Uh, not that, uh, not that long afterwards in terms of what they could do, but they're still tracked <laughs> even as they've gone to university. <laughs> I can still track them and know where they are. And, uh, they've got used to that fact. <laughs>
1: Uh, and what's the benefit of being able to track them? Do you, you actually do you actually ever intervene, or is this just about your uh, your sort of mental well-being? No, it's it's it's. I, I think well, they can track us too, um, so it's a mutual okay. thing.
0: Uh, I think it's just you know you know where they are and where they are at their last moment and things like that, um, and that can be quite useful. Uh, we haven't used it to intervene occasionally. We're like, where the hell are you? Um, that seems a bit odd, and they they tell us. Um, so you know maybe maybe we've been blessed with them. Uh, uh, you know not doing anything that they thought was uh, they had to keep from us or something like that. But I think also that they can turn that off whenever they want if they really wanted to. So I, I don't think <laughs> you know it just I think as a family we're just going to know
1: where everybody is. Uh, that seems how we've evolved to it, which is not not bad really. And video games, you write in uh, Parentonomics about video games in, in similar terms that you've just talked about television as being a, a good family bonding activity, but I guess many families wouldn't see it that way. They would see video games as being something that sucks children into uh, a virtual world and, and away from dealing with others.
0: Yeah, it's a bit interesting. I, I think actually, I mean, as I reflect on, you know, part of it was uh, our motivation for allowing our kids to play video games. Was it was just another thing to play, uh, and also when they went to play with friends, they wouldn't be like hopeless. <laughs> so It's the same reason you you teach a kid to catch a ball, right? Um, you you want them to be able to sort of hold their own and play with others. Um, and I think it evolved into these sort of uh, you know we had some good family mo- moments. Uh, uh, my wife got a, uh, addicted to Pikmin. She she would only when she was pregnant, she would play uh, video games intently. I don't know why. Um, and I think, uh, I think maybe the soothing sounds of Mario still, uh, uh, put our elders to sleep. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, but then the, uh, the kids would be part of that activity. They're usually problem solving or something like that. Um, yeah. and then they played with each other too. I mean, something you have when you've got teenagers, it's hard to get them to interact with each other. Uh, you know, we've got the TV time that does that, but you want them to sort of, uh, deal, you, know, uh, you know, be brothers and sisters as well. Uh, so they do a bit of that uh, going on. And then later on, we had these, uh, it evolved into other things like Minecraft, which, you know, it's hard to, to think of as a video game, really. Um, more often than not, they're playing with other kids and they're creating things. So it's, it's, it's not a blob of activity. Uh, You know, video games can be good or bad, I guess. And I know lots of people get uh, addicted to them or worried about it. But, um, you know, I I think it all depends on the child. And and I guess we were fortunate that our children sort of became obsessed for little bits of time and then uh, decided to stop.
1: Do you worry about surveys like I've seen stuff from Pew that suggests that the typical American child is now basically plugged into a device uh, every waking minute except when they're in school uh, yeah. do you think that's that, that's that's got uh, an unhealthy aspect to it if uh, effectively we're crowding out these impromptu games of backyard soccer that uh, that would have happened in uh, in uh, as we were growing up um it's it's difficult to
0: it's difficult to assess. I uh, I don't, you know, I have you know, we've been free with our kids at a much earlier age. So they haven't had the feeling that technology was some sort of guilty pleasure or some sort of taboo thing that they're not supposed to be doing. It's sort of just been part of their lives. And so we haven't had this situation where people are uh, where they've sort of plugged into their devices, it's hard to get off their uh, phone or whatever um they ended up having the phone before it was necessary to communicate with their friends so mm. they weren't they didn't have and i've watched this with other other kids of other parents who are like oh my kid won't have a phone till they're 15 well for three years they're not able to communicate with anyone outside of school and so when they get the phone it's you know they have no moderation um, whereas we've sort of like been able to sort of, uh, manage that evolution, uh, a bit better. I'm not saying that we've got any, uh, whiz bang things at it, but it's been a bit more monitored, uh, you know, and especially when it comes to things like social networks, uh, you know, the, the legal age for Facebook is 13. Uh, I can tell you my, all my kids, since they can't get kicked off now, we're all <laughs> on it well before that. Um, and, and when they were on it, none of their friends were on it, so it was just us. And then when their friends came on it, you know, we were still there. And so we could watch and, you know, in one or two cases, we came upon a funny interaction uh, between one of our kids and their friends and and sort of were able to talk to them about it because we were still part of that space. Now, when they became teenagers, they hopped onto social networks without us, but I felt Mm. we at least had a time to hold their hand through that process and learn what is acceptable, what isn't, what is, you know, dangerous, what isn't, and stuff like that. Uh, so it's, a, it, it's all about gradual evolution. Uh, I think with technology, it's, you know, it's always hard to know, and you, you, you certainly wouldn't want anyone to be addicted or spending all their time on things and, and, and it doing a harm. But at the same time, if you deny something for too long, uh you you may create the opposite effect. You may actually create the conditions that you've been trying to prevent. And I, I also you know and and this is why we were on Facebook as well. We were on the phones as well. And also how could we deny our kids uh, these things when we were uh, similarly obsessed, uh, especially in my case as well? Um, it's like telling telling kids, ah, oh, you shouldn't have a drink when you drink every night. <laughs> It's, it, you 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 got to you got to be able to you got to be able to explain yourself.
1: But, but in fact, that's exactly what most of us do with our under eighteen children. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we consume we consume alcohol and we deny alcohol to them, and we do that on the basis that we don't think that the children are able to. We think that the alcohol is worse for their bodies than it might be for ours, uh, and we also worry in, in other instances that they might not be able to manage, say, you know, controlling a car, for, for example. So uh, even if you live on a large property in the country, you're probably not uh, handing the keys of the car over to the 10-year-old on the basis that uh, it's riskier for them than it, than it is for you. Um, I, I'm just curious, wanted to push you a little bit more on the, the, the question of technology, because a lot's been written about cyber bullying and concerns that kids uh, who spend too much time on this online world? Uh, that online world then attains a degree of importance, and so being insulted online is is really causes their self esteem to crumble in a way in which it wouldn't if they were just online half an hour a day.
0: Well, um, let me sort of uh, uh, go. go There's two parts. I mean, one part is you know I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't drink, so I don't I could set the could set that example and um i don't know if my how much my kids at uh, university drink or whatever but you know at least as that's 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 something but uh, with regard to the this the, the cyberbullying you know this let's get back to uh, economist training for a bit it, you got to think about substitutes <laughs> um, you know I, I don't know about you but when i was in uh, you know high school uh, you know, people would bully <laughs> and uh, it would happen. There was, no, there was no Facebook. There were no mobile phones then. Uh, yeah, they, they had the guts to come and bully you to your face. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know if that's better. Um, but what I noticed uh, with regard to this sort of thing on, uh, online as I sort of was able to observe some of those interactions is yes, there were things that you're bullying and, and things like that. And again, being a parent and being able to talk to your children about it uh, was a good thing. And moreover, you can see it laid out there, at least for your own kid, uh, quite readily. So that gives you a basis to talk about, which we our parents wouldn't have had. And secondly, uh, there was a lot of positive affirmation as well. There's a tendency, you know, Mm. we as parents, we're like, uh, you know, things only get to our level of attention if they're kind of bad. We don't get told about the good stuff. (laughs) And I observed a lot of, you know, you go girl type um, interactions, praise of each other congratulations yeah. when things had happened and things like that. There was a lot of that. Um, and I think that's part of the activity that occurs now on Instagram and things like that. People, people post a photo and, the, and they expect sort of people to have positive comments and likes about them. And, I, you know, and, and there have been some studies of this, but, you know, the vast amount of comments in terms of positive and negative, it's overwhelmingly positive overwhelmingly positive. Um, and, and there are cases where people have been bullied. Uh, and I'm not saying that technology has nothing to do with that or hasn't uh, assisted in that at all. That's that's not what I'm saying. Um, but I'm just saying it's, it's hard to separate out uh, the good from the bad. And there's also another factor about this as well. You, you haven't got to this stage yet, but, you know, none of the kids who are uh, coming of age, want to learn how to drive here, <laughs>
1: <laughs> which seems like a great thing. As the uh, as the father of three boys, who the Absolutely. eldest of him is eleven, uh, driverless cars can't come along quick enough, yeah, as far uh, as I'm concerned. Well,
0: I can tell you that's not going to happen, sadly. But nonetheless, but what's interesting is they don't want to drive, and the and the reason is is you know when we were growing up, being able to drive, uh, especially in a, a situation where public transport was not great or something like that was our way of escaping and being with friends and so so on but now they have that through their devices they have means of coordinating they don't have to congregate at some more they can set other terms and other things they can they face time that you know Mm. and what have you i mean things that you know we, we don't do, but they, they don't even understand how, to, why would you just use audio to talk to someone, um, <laughs> you know, and things like that. So it's, it's a very different social relation uh, going on there. And it's been, and it's been fundamentally moulded by this technology. So I don't think, th- I mean, I guess, you know, uh, you can't just sort of take these things and you hear certain bad things and take them on their own. You have to understand what the counterfactual is. Uh what the uh, the alternative world might have been, and it's not it's hundred per cent clear that on net it's a it's a bad thing or a dangerous thing at least to me but you know i I agree I am biased in this regard. I've fed my kids' technology. what am I going to tell you? oh and that ruined them it ruined them. I tell you if I had one thing I'd take back, I wouldn't have given them a phone <laughs> you know parents very rarely say that right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's certainly true. It's hard to admit admit uh, uh, fault. But one area in which I'd admit fault in my own life is uh, I feel like I use my smartphone much too much when I'm around the kids uh, and that uh, that I would be a better dad if I put the phone away more often. Uh, and didn't respond when text, me- text messages came in. Uh, do you find that's a challenge in your own life? Have you thought about ways of uh, of minimising your own device use, which might sometimes crowd out quality time with kids? You know,
0: I... I, I, I It's hard to say. To tell you the truth, I've moderated nothing. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> and I didn't feel that it was in, intrusive. Um, I didn't... I didn't uh you know I didn't uh, you know I didn't have some child come up to me and say you know in some sad eye thing dad can you put the phone away um sort of thing um I I'm not I'm not really sure maybe I just didn't get that many maybe I'm, I don't get that many messages maybe I'm a bit lonely um but but uh you know a uh, job I think that's fairly unlikely uh, yeah that's true that's true we also have stuff around I mean it's a bit odd I uh, look I yeah I I so I haven't moderated at all on that uh so I can't I can't can't tell you about that but i I think there is an issue about being present that's true um and um you know being able to do things uh, with your kids I must admit it's getting a bit bit foggy for me now what, what we did when we were younger but you know when the kids were younger exactly what we were doing I can't even remember now uh i I, I just come up with this general impression that they weren't neglected but that doesn't seem right <laughs> so <laughs>
1: Uh, And uh, what about uh, travel, the role of travel? You said your your parents weren't very big uh, travelers with kids, but uh, uh, you and your wife have been uh, significant travelers. Uh, You visited MIT for a a period before you moved to Toronto, but you've also enjoyed traveling with the family a lot around uh, Australia and uh, the United States and Canada. Uh, What is it to be a good traveling parent?
0: Oh, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing. It's, um, you know, traveling with kids is, is potentially an awful experience. Um, it's, it does take a, take quite a bit of, uh, work. Um, you know, we did have, we had, uh, family in different parts of Australia. So we used to, uh, you have to bundle everybody into a car or a plane or, or whatever. Uh, for that. And we did take these sort of like every few years, these sort of large international trips as well. Um, I think, you know, when it comes down to it, it's a good thing, you know, going and traveling with younger kids to see uh, family and things like that is a good experience for them to be connected. Uh, Going on any of these sort of grand adventures, well, they just don't remember it. Uh, they, you know, you, don't kid yourself of what <laughs> what your what your children might remember of those experiences. It's not a it's not a huge amount, um, so they'll probably more. I remember you raving about a Yosemite trip. Oh, I did. It wasn't well. It was a lot of fun. I mean, we got a lot of pictures, um, but I, you know, if I ask the kids about it now, only the eldest really remembers it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know what are we you know and the rest we can show photos and they can sort of vaguely understand that they were doing something, um, and so you know those things are good. But but it really wasn't. Um, it, it's a funny thing, uh, you know, what you invest in and what becomes a memory and stuff like that. You know, again, we economists are you know used to talk about utility um and there's you know utility in the moment uh, enjoying doing various things and, and and let me tell you for a parent taking a kid to disneyland or whatever that's 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 good fun there's no doubt about that um you know you can delight in your children and whether they remember it or not is irrelevant um but uh, then there's the sort of things that, you know, you remember the cherished memories and, you know, that's harder, that's harder. It's harder to instill those sorts of things, um, and to believe you're creating them. Um, that's a, that's just management gone too far. So, you know, I, 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 I think people, you know, I guess my view on traveling is, uh, it's worthwhile to do it if you want to do it as a parent and you're going to enjoy it. But don't necessarily think of it as the particular experiences are going to change your kids, depending on what you, you know, whether it experienced another language, another culture, or anything like that. It is unlikely to have an impact.
1: and uh, it occurred to me that we're uh, yet to touch on the uh, small matter of education. Uh, did you, uh, you, you obviously, uh, as uh, as a lecturer yourself, uh, didn't uh, delegate this task completely to the uh, formal education system? Um, talk to talk to us about uh, some of the, uh, the the role of uh, uh, Lego and educational uh, con- contracting and uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 read- readathons. Uh, uh, what, what sorts of incentives and tricks have you used to build? your kid's educational experience? Well, we, we, we
0: did all our educational experimenting on our first child. Because uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, that, that's the role of a first child. Basically, your you know, first child has to achieve these milestones Otherwise, you failed as a parent. And so we did that. You know, we pressured her into all manner of things and and probably have warped her horribly. But, not, you know, so w- w- uh, that, that kind of uh, uh, st- uh, stuff happened. Um, but really, when it comes down to it, uh, you know, we've tried very hard to push, you know, we accepted whatever the school has chosen to do in terms of curriculum and emphasis, et cetera, if there are gaps that we don't like, rather than pressuring the school, as many parents tend to do, uh, instead, we thought, well, we will concentrate on that stuff. So when our kids went to schools that were uh, adverse to technology, we pushed the technology. When our kids right. had, uh, went to schools that didn't have uh, sports as much, we pushed the sports. When they didn't have music, we pushed the music. Um, so we saw our role as filling in gaps uh, in terms of any education at home. And that, you know, that also, you know, included a, a healthy regard for Lego. But uh, to, be, to be clear, that was more myself and my wife who decided we <laughs> liked making Lego and we could do that and pretend it was, you know, an activity with the kids. Um, so <laughs> I can't. I can't claim that we really knew what we were doing there. Um, so, uh, but other than that, all of our educational decisions have been terrible. Just terrible. In what way? Well, every time we've like made a, th- you know, investigation and looking at different schools, and, you know, we, we could afford to, to, to send to private schools, so we would look at those options. We have uh, our uh, you know the the choice has been just awful. It's just been wrong for our children. Now, obviously, <laughs> uh, it, it's true. It, you said just, you weren't going to admit mistakes before. This is uh, this, this is a real confession. No, no, out here. this this is definitely this is definitely a mistake. I mean, and, and 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 you know, we even did that repeatedly when we went to the U.S. for a, a year and a half. Uh, obviously, we weren't going to do private school then, so we just went to the the public school, and it was the best education experience any of our kids, kids had ever had. They learnt more. It was just terrific, and we, we thought, well, we're not sending, if, you know, if we were to return to Australia, which we didn't, we're not going to send them back to their previous schools, um, which left us with a dilemma of what to do, but then we didn't do that. And then, lo and behold, we moved to Toronto, and we, we again we shopped around at different schools, and we ended up choosing the same sort of school that we left in Australia, stupid elite private school. And, you know, our kids started to not do so well in it. Our elders first, and she was like 13 or 14, and she was about to go into high school. And she's just, and we just said, well, why don't you just look and see where you want to go to school? And she ended up finding this school, uh, it was called the Abelard School, that is, uh, was, I, I, I kid you not, it's on the fifth floor above a Starbucks. It's just like one floor. If there's like forty-five to fifty kids in the whole high school, that's four grades. So these mm. classes were really small. They taught the classics. Okay. They taught you you go into grade nine, you're learning Latin as well as French, English, history, science, maths. That's it. Not a computer to be found. Oh yeah, it's a couple of computers. No sports ground, no nothing. It's like these bare classrooms, no library. Um, so it was this small little school and uh, she found that I never would have looked at that school I never would have thought of it as a thing it was formed by teachers who'd had had enough and they formed their own school Um, but she went there and she loved it it was such a small school everybody knew each other didn't have any of these teenage cliques and gangs and whatever you know pressure there is and she mm, just thrived mm. at it. So, so much so that when the, the other kids came up, we, we did the same thing with both of them. Um, or the, uh, the youngest, we sent to a school by this uh, Australian woman... Uh, uh, Jan Howlett, uh, uh, she passed away actually uh, 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 cancer very early on, but she had a small little school uh, like just in a house uh, that taught the classics. I mean it was completely, you know, I'm supposed to be this big technology one. Well, there was no technology in any of these schools. They wouldn't even have, have damn calculators. Um, and, and when my son got to the Avalard School, they made him the IT manager because he was the only person who could work the printer. <laughs> so, <laughs> in the previous the previous sort of high and that school by the way for all it's no technology has produced two uh peter tile fellows these people who uh go on to be these tech entrepreneurs two there's 20 a year and this school of 550 students has produced two of them worldwide including vitalik buterin who's like the king of cryptocurrency at the moment so I'm like, this is a, it's, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. And I, my point is I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't know. Yes. So when it came to the university choice, they just chose, they just chose what they wanted to do in university. I didn't, you know, like, you know, i talked to them about it and things like that. Um, but they, they just, they just chose where they wanted to go to university, where they wanted to target, what subjects they wanted to do at school and really how hard they wanted to work. And, um, and that's worked out. Um, that, you know, I, I just don't know any better. I just don't know any better. Whenever I made a decision, it was clearly wrong. So I was better off not making one. Which
1: and goes, I guess, to the, to the question as to how much parenting really does matter. Uh, there's hmm. uh, uh, Brian Kaplan makes the argument that uh, parents way overstate the, uh, the the role that they have in how their children will eventually turn out. Yeah. Uh, but then in Parentonomics, you uh, you quote your PhD thesis advisor Ken Arrow, uh, when he discovered you were about to have your first baby, saying, "Just remember, it's an investment." <laughs> uh, clearly, Ken Arrow thought of parents as uh, as really mattering. Um, well, not quite. You no, no he didn't.
0: He didn't think that he was meaning because 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 there's the such there's such terrors at a young age. I think he was he had a he had a child who had trouble sleeping, um, and it was still burned into his memory. <laughs> That's why he said that. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, look, I I, I think parenting, uh, you know, obviously it matters to, to a little bit, so you, you've got to be able to shape certain things. I mean, you know, my son's not, you know, so au fait with technology. If he had grown up in a family that didn't let him anywhere near technology, um, you know, maybe he'd turn up to be that, but he certainly wouldn't be where he is uh, currently in terms of his abilities on that. Um, so, you know, uh, it all depends. I've seen other... other uh, families where the you know the 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 uh, parents are entertainers and the kids are all very talented uh, musicians and actors, actresses themselves. You know, there's something that can come from the air of those sorts of things. The problem is that uh, our deliberate attempts to instill some sort of goal or direction in our children are you know it's just nigh on impossible. It's it's really hard. I mean, you would have to torture the hell out of a child to get them to to not do various things.
1: (laughs) So have you ended up... closer then to the uh, to the Kaplan view that actually parenting a, a large share of parenting doesn't shape the direction the child takes and you're better off allowing children to make their own choices as you did in choosing yours did in choosing the Abelard school
0: well you know no I'm certainly certainly further along on that uh, regard and especially once they get of, of a certain age I, I'm not I've seen some parents who indulge every single, whim and desire of their kids, and I don't think that's for us uh, to do so. In other words, I I, I sort of agree with the Kaplan view is that parents can be uh, explicitly selfish for their own interests. And I would rather I be selfish and say, I'm doing this because of me, than try and pretend there's some other benefit for the child uh, in it. In other words, I'd rather be mm. honest about what's going on. And I think that is something we've been explicit with with our kids it, it, and it helps us sort of treat them differently from one another um, and things like that because they are different. Uh, and, you know, it's a sort of an honesty about why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, and I guess, uh, I I guess, and I think there's something to that. I don't think, you know, in the Brian Kaplan, you know, he took on, you know, they do all that. But then, he, you know, he homeschooled his kids and all those sorts of things. Like he was supposedly saving on all sorts of costs. But, it, you know, it's not clear. But I do like his attitude of, you know, why? You know, why can't he just one day? And, and he did this once. He's Like he said to the kids, I think they were going to school. and He said he just took them out of school for the day and had a fun day that they would remember that they did that and, and they are old enough to, to remember that. And I thought, you know, those sorts of like, you know, why not let's just do this uh, yes. attitude. I think, you know, th- there's something to that. Uh, there's yeah. something to that lightening up a bit. I think, I think we all as parents just take, I mean, and that's what I tried to do in the parentonomics book is, is you can't take yourself that seriously. You just can't take yourself that seriously. You have responsibility, but that doesn't mean you have to believe that, you know, things are so serious and you're so important uh, in all of that. Uh, You know, you can lighten up a bit.
1: Joshua, what advice would you give to your teenage self?
0: Uh, I think uh, to to myself, uh, it gets better. When you find your tribe, it gets a lot better.
1: You, uh, you, your teenage self was uh, struggling a little bit uh, the, the, then by the sense things.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I think I struggled socially. I, I think a lot of I think a lot of kids, especially in Australia struggled uh, socially and, and, and fitting in. There was certain uh, stuff I don't think that's unique to Australia, but it was certainly the mm. case for me. And so yep. I, I really, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, didn't quite know where I fit in. Uh, yep. and, and you just sort of had to wait. I don't think I really found that out until I arrived at Stanford after my undergraduate degree.
1: What's something you used to believe but no longer do?
0: Well, I already said I used to believe I could choose well education-wise <laughs> <laughs> for my kids and I definitely don't believe that anymore. Uh, there's all sorts of other things I don't believe. I don't, I don't believe we're that much different from animals in our cognitive abilities. Uh, I'm starting to lose faith in democracy, but we, we don't want to go down the political route.
1: <laughs> uh, when are you most happy?
0: I'm actually most happy... I'm most happy when, when, when uh, the whole f- five of us uh, are together having dinner. I, I've already thought... I mean, I knew the answer to that. Uh, it, it just is, you know. Uh, at least in in my mind, this is when we get along. You know, on my fiftieth birthday, my wife knew that that was make me happy, and she flew my daughter back for for that um, because she knew exactly what would make me happy, which is to have them all together. And that's what we did. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: What's the most important thing you do to stay mentally and physically healthy?
0: Um, you know, I don't do squat, really. <laughs> you know, No I, meditation, no Pilates. I see all the people on Facebook, yourself and Wolfers included, who go running all the time and dozens of marathons here and there and what have you. And I don't have any of that. <laughs> I don't do any of that. I mean, I know the rest of my family would like me to. They're all very good, actually. Um, but I'm terrible. At the physical health thing I just get too bored um, And mentally healthy Look, I got a job that keeps me mentally healthy Let's face it
1: <laughs> Do you enjoy the, uh, the travel Associated with the job, uh, students What brings you most uh, satisfaction In, uh, in, in your, your role uh, I think um,
0: Still the process of discovery uh, You know When I'm working on research and find out something New to the world, that's the thing uh I haven't really got to enjoy travel. I try to uh get there and back very quickly. Uh I think as I grow older and and uh my wife will be able to come with me, I'll enjoy that a lot more. Do you have any guilty pleasures? Uh you know, I don't feel guilty about very much. But, you know, like the sort of thing you That's might... its a very want-
1: economist thing.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, it's how, how can I have a guilty pleasure when I don't feel guilty? I mean, you know, I have stuff I've done in the past that I guess I should feel guilty about, such as, you know, I said that we all like watching TV as a family. I didn't tell you what we like watching the most, and that was The Apprentice. The Apprentice was our <laughs> show. The Apprentice was our show. We, we went all the way to New York, and what's the first place we visited? Trump Tower. <laughs> And you will love this. My daughter wore a "You're Fired" T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, would
1: she still so, wear I mean, that today? In retrospect, we can feel as a university about that. student. <laughs> Sorry, would she still wear that today as a university student? Oh, she definitely, she'd definitely wear that
0: one. I, I think um, uh, if if there was if it was available, I suspect she would quite happily. Happily do that, um, uh, but but not not because she uh, more out of the irony of it. Uh, you know, mm. he, here our kids were brought up on Trump, uh, and uh, I, I I don't have to worry that they believe anything in the in the what has occurred there.
1: <laughs> and finally, Joshua, which personal or, or which experience has most shaped your view of living an ethical life?
0: In terms of uh, ethics. <sighs> I think it's um. Uh, I still, you know, I, I still got a lot of mileage out of Rabbi Hillel. Uh, do not do unto others as Hillel. you would do to yourself. Uh, I kind of, I kind of, uh, that still works for me, you know, in terms of uh, dealing with uh, hypocrisy and and trying to check myself and knowing when. Uh, especially in these days and age when you're going to stand up for something, uh, which is, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, don't necessarily do, but I, at different times of my life I've taken on, you know, things that would not seemingly have any benefit for me but, uh, but feel the right thing to do. And it's really mm. That, mm. That, that philosophy that's guiding it.
1: I'm Joshua Gans, uh, economist, parent and author of Parentonomics, Uh, thanks so much for sharing your insights and your wisdom on The Good Life podcast today.
0: Thank you, Andrew. It's been lots of fun.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Good Life. We love getting feedback, so please leave us a rating or a comment on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes. Next week, I'll be back with another inspiring guest to discuss living a happier, healthier and more ethical life.